0: This episode features dramatizations of gore and harm against minors and animals, as well as references to domestic violence and post-traumatic stress. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of Hercules and the Stymphalian birds. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Greek legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello, everyone. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from ParCast. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Last week, we covered the capture of the Cyrenian Hind, the fastest creature on Earth, and Hercules' third labor. On my other show, Tales, we told the story of Hercules' fifth labor cleaning the stables of King Augeas. This week, we're back to slaying monsters, as Hercules faces down the murderous Stymphalian birds. On the surface, this is a task that seems more in his wheelhouse. How hard can it be to drive off a few birds? Hercules thinks all he has to do is shoot them with his bow and arrow. Unfortunately, things start to look a little more complicated once he gets to Lake Stymphalia. Coming up, we step into a dark and flighty forest. While the Nemean Lion and Lernaean Hydra were monsters raised by Hera, most legends say the Stymphalian birds were brought up by a different god, Ares. Most people know Ares as the god of war, and while it seems like he's just the male version of Athena, there's an important distinction between the two. Athena is the goddess of military strategy, justice, and wisdom the resolution of conflict, armed or otherwise, falls to her. Ares is the god of what remains, blood, gore, and pain. Though there are no specific legends of the Stymphalian bird's creation, they're generally described as ibises gone horribly wrong. An ibis is a bird found in wetlands. It has long legs for wading and a lengthy curved beak for picking up crustaceans. They're usually depicted as serene creatures, and in ancient societies, an ibis was often associated with writing and wisdom. But Ares is the god of negative change, so in his hands, these birds are not at all elegant. Instead, they're covered in dung, have sharp, sword-like feathers, and aren't afraid to rip both animals and humans apart. Somewhere along the line, Ares's birds came to roost on the shore of Lake Stymphalia in the northeastern part of Peloponnese. The small ancient village of Stymphalus sits on its north end, perfectly positioned to be raided by the Stymphalian birds time and time again. Another day, another labor. Hercules had saved many a town and city already. No monster could stand against him. News of his accomplishments was spreading fast through Greece, and people were starting to recognize him. They knew him as the man with the pelt of a lion around his shoulders, a hero. This next labor involved saving yet another town. According to King Eurystheus, Stymphalus had an infestation of very large birds, and Hercules needed to drive them off. He didn't have to catch them, bring them back, or even kill them. He only needed to drive them away. So he gathered his arrows, dipped in the poison of the Lernaean Hydra. He was looking forward to a day of target practice, Then, a feast in his honor. Of course, he suspected there would be some kind of catch. There always was. But he'd figured out everything else so far, and Eurystheus seemed to have run out of conventional beasts of legend. Between cleaning the Aegean stables and running off these birds, the king had him doing farm chores. And once his chores were done, Hercules would finally be at peace. Stymphalus was small, walled, but only just. There were houses at the outskirts and a little agora at the center, but the stalls were empty. The sky was gray overhead. It was, safe to say, not the reception Hercules had expected. Only a single villager remained in the square. He was wearing a threadbare tunic and a wide hat. He fussed with the thin cloth he was using to cover his stall. Hercules adjusted the Nemean lion's hide on his shoulders. Hello, I'm here to solve your bird problem. The old man squinted at him for a moment, considering. Finally, he spoke. You're Hercules. Hercules nodded. Yes, thank you. Can you tell me about the birds? The man shook his head, then looked south. I imagine you have to go up there, but you don't want to. Hercules was unable to hide his surprise. He was half inclined to ask if the man knew who he was, but he'd revealed that already. So he smiled. I've got it handled, thank you. They're south then? The man's eyes went far away. The first time they came, they took the cows and sheep, tossed them back and forth, and ripped them apart. Next, we heard the howls of the wolves in the valley, then silence. The birds had fled, but only days later they returned for more prey. They always return. Then they wait. The man's speech was slow. It was sad, yes, but Hercules was here to solve the problem. The least the villager could do was hurry up. When Hercules realized that wasn't going to happen, he left the glassy-eyed man and headed south. Hercules followed a path towards Lake Stymphalia, then walked its shores— The lake was dark and flat, despite the sun shining in the sky. It had an eerie quality about it. He could see no birds in its waters. He kept waiting for Athena to show up to guide him. But even after a mile of walking, she didn't. He'd just have to look elsewhere. There was a forest of thick, tall trees to his right. Maybe the birds were hiding. Hercules ducked under the canopy, The minute he crossed the tree line, everything went dark. No light touched the undergrowth, and there was a strange bite to the air. Good. The birds had to be in here. Hercules drew his bow and quiver from his pack. He wasn't going to be surprised the way he'd been by the Hydra. But he'd won that in the end, too, hadn't he? And now the monster's poison blood waited at the end of each of his arrows. The birds wouldn't know what hit them. A giant shape swept over him. Hercules turned, studying the creature. The bird's wingspan was twice his size, if not more, and jet black. Its legs were spindly. Its beak was long, thin, and crooked, like it had been broken and twisted. It settled on a nearby tree branch, and Hercules tightened his bow. It was an unsightly thing, but it didn't seem particularly dangerous. Now he saw why he hadn't heard from Athena. He just had to shoot and repeat. The bird looked at him. He looked at the bird. Gods, you're ugly. Time to put you out of your misery. Hercules drew the bowstring to its full length. He fired a little ahead of the beast, anticipating that it would flee. But instead, the bird dove for him, Talons outstretched. Hercules dove to the ground, then rolled under a thicket. The bird flew after him. When it realized it couldn't reach him through the plants, it screeched and turned upwards. The bird settled in another tree and folded its feathers in on itself in a strange, methodical way. It stared straight at Hercules. Right in my line of sight. Hercules said, staring back. He drew his bow again, pulling back as far as he could for more power. The bird made a strange cawing noise, somewhere between a call and a screech. Then one caw became two. There was another bird in the tree beside the first, its wings tucked up in the same strange way. It rustled ever so slightly. From where he was standing, its feathers looked almost metallic, like a suit of armor. Then, Hercules heard another screech. There was a third bird in the same tree on the branch above. They were all so large and must have been heavy. He was surprised that they hadn't knocked off any leaves or branches. The floor of the forest was strangely clean. He looked up again, suddenly realizing that the trees themselves were almost black and moving. <laughs> Hercules' jaw fell open. It hadn't been the trees blocking out the light. It was the birds on the trees. The poplars were covered in beasts. Every spare inch was occupied by a large, mutated ibis. There were hundreds, maybe thousands, and he was supposed to fend off every single one of them. Coming up, the birds use a very dangerous weapon. Once upon a time, I thought I met Mr. Wright. The only problem? He was a huge liar. You were going out of your mind because you couldn't figure it out. I'm Abby Ellen. Join me as I tell the story of one con man who entangled his lovers, friends, coworkers, family, and me in an identity fraud scheme that stretched all the way to the Pentagon. Season 2 of Imposters the Commander, a Spotify original from Parcast, premieres Monday, September 13th. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Hercules crouched low in the thicket. The Stymphalian birds turned their small, round heads, searching for him. He'd given up on counting them. There was no way he'd ever finish. They filled every tree, blocking out the sun. Still, they were just birds. He'd just have to move from cover to cover and collect his arrows between shots. It would be a long test of endurance, but he lifted rivers and hugged lions to death. If he needed to have a 12-hour target practice, he could handle it. Hercules drew his bow yet again, trusting the comforting weight of it in his hands. This was a great plan. Who needed Athena? Hercules took aim, fired at the closest bird, and rushed to another thicket. He heard the bird fall to the ground. He smirked, one down. He crept out to examine his handiwork. But the bird was still sitting right where it had been. None of the animals had moved a muscle. They were just staring at a shape on the ground, Hercules realized it was his own arrow. That was strange. If he'd struck the bird at all, the hydra's poison on the arrow's tip should have taken effect. Well, no matter. He took aim again and let the arrow fly. It headed straight for his target's heart and bounced off. This felt like a joke. Some prank played by a bored lesser god. But Hercules had tangled with gods already. He wasn't afraid. He drew his bow again and fired. Pings of metal filled the air. Hercules sent arrow after arrow at bird after bird. But every arrow bounced off. The birds didn't move. It was as the villager said. They just waited. Hercules left the thicket to retrieve his arrows and watched them warily. They returned his gaze but made no move to attack. He peered at the nearest bird, studying the dark metallic feathers. It was some kind of armor, but it was fused to the animal itself. His own skin hurt just thinking about it. But then he realized... Armor had to have gaps, didn't it? For motion. He squinted in the darkness to examine the closest creature. Everything did have a metallic sheen. Its feathers, its beak, its talons. The bird adjusted itself on the branch, spreading out its wings for a brief second. There, in the crook of its wing, he saw the tiniest sliver of softness, the pale, white feathers of the ibis this monster had once been. A vulnerability, maybe. But in order to get a shot at it, he needed to see that enormous wingspan again. The birds were all around him now, eyes fixed on his position. He braced his senses for any sign. Then he heard it. Wings, but smaller and softer, Hercules felt his heart race to panic before a familiar owl came into view. His sister transformed into her human form and settled beside him in the thicket. She gave him that infuriating, serene smile. I thought you didn't need me. Hercules refused to believe she could read his thoughts. It was a lucky guess and nothing more. He went right to what he needed. Any strategies? Athena leaned back. The thicket curled around her to form a seat. They're Ares' pets. She said their half-brother's name like it was dung from the Aegean stables. Though I'm sure you can tell. Hercules studied Athena. This was more personal to her than the other labors had been. What do you mean by that? Athena looked towards the trees. They're just so ugly. And cumbersome and inelegant. At least Hera had some imagination. Hercules assumed she was referring to the Hydra and the Nemean lion. He didn't like the idea of calling two creatures that nearly ate his face imaginative, but he also didn't want to upset Athena. He needed her, so he listened. Ares is abrasive and secretive. He has absolutely nothing to do with my domain of wisdom. If he had any sort of brain, he would know that there was no reason to torture those birds. And I imagine he bullied poor Hephaestus into making their iron feathers. But you saw the gap in their wings. Just shoot them. There was a lot to unpack there. The rivalry between the two gods of war was potent, but that wasn't his problem. His problem was the birds. They're too fast for me in their large numbers. I need some way to get them out of the trees, but not attacking me. Athena sighed. So you need some sort of tool to disorient them. Perhaps you might find it in the village. Hercules glanced out of the thicket again. The birds still surrounded him. He needed that magic tool now. But Athena would never just hand it over, no matter how much he begged. She spoke in riddles, valued cleverness, and expected him to handle things once she gave him some inspiration. Could she blame him, though, if he used his cleverness to acquire the tool from her? What if he convinced her to help without her knowing? Hercules cleared his throat. "'You're right, sister. "'I must return to Stymphalus. "'I only hope the villagers do not see me "'and think I was defeated. "'I don't want my retreat to reflect badly "'on you as my patron.' "'Athena looked sidelong at him. "'The thought seemed to have not occurred to her, "'but she didn't want to show it. "'Sometimes discretion is the greater part of valor.' "'Hercules tried to keep her on topic.' Yes, but is it valorous to run away from some inelegant everyday birds? You say they're easy to kill. It's my poor planning, my poor strategy to be unprepared. You're the goddess of strategy. I've failed you. Athena squinted at him, as if trying to see into his mind— Hercules told himself to be blank and open, to find the soothing calm he felt when he was fighting monsters. No thoughts, no cleverness, just action. Athena squinted harder, then pulled away, frustrated. It might appear as if you failed me, yes, but if you hurry back, no one has to know. Hercules did his best to look stoic but regretful, I'll pray that that's the case. But Stymphalus is so far away. The villagers will talk. Of course, it doesn't matter. They're just villagers. I'm sure they'll be grateful once the job is done. They'll tell the exciting version of the story. No one will blame you. It's my mistake. Hercules didn't dare glance at his sister. He was afraid he'd give the game away. Athena's eyes were hard as she spoke. "'You're right. It is your mistake. Have fun!' With a flutter of her wings, she disappeared from sight. Hercules groaned. He was officially stuck. Going back to Stymphalus to find his mysterious bird-interrupting tool would take significant time and lots of luck. But he hated luck, and luck tended to hate him right back.' Hercules peeked out of the thicket again at the horizon. The road to Stymphalus was about 20 feet away from him. It glinted in the far-off sunlight, a beacon of a world free of the birds. He wasn't sure he'd learned enough about them to even find the tool Athena insisted he needed. What made them attack? What were they scared of? What else could you use to fend off birds aside from a bow and arrow? But if he was going to chance it, there was no real reason to delay his attempt to escape. He took a deep breath and stepped out of the thicket as quietly as he could. He backed away towards the road slowly, trying to keep his eyes on every part of his surroundings. The birds tilted their heads to watch him, adjusting the grip of their talons on the branches the shadows shifted ever so slightly with their motions. He took careful step after careful step until he heard the comforting crunch of gravel beneath his feet. He'd reached the road, but then a glint of metal appeared in front of him. At first, it looked like an arrow, but then he realized it was actually a feather, a very familiar feather. He heard a whistling on the wind, then felt a searing pain in his shoulder. Something had sliced through the top layer of skin. He reached down to the ground. It was another feather arrow and sharp enough to pierce a demigod's skin. Hercules took one step backward. The birds puffed up their metal-clad chests, then shook their gnarled bodies. More arrows shot straight towards him. It was time to run. Coming up, Hercules fights the flock. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. Hercules ran for cover. The bird's arrow-like feathers pierced the ground around him. Only moments ago, he was just trying to get them out of the trees. Now, he had to fight for his life amongst a rain of blades. Hercules pivoted around a tree and took cover behind a large rock. He was checking his surroundings when Athena appeared beside him. Miss me? She held out her hand, revealing a long cord with two golden bells. Hercules stared at her. That's it? Noise? Athena smirked. Not just any noise, she said. She swung the cord so the bells knocked together. The sound was staggeringly loud, rattling. Hercules finally understood. It would rattle the birds, too. The monsters began to screech. He apologized to Athena while grabbing the bells from her. He tested the weight, then slammed them together. The sound carried through the forest. Small waves grew in the lake water. Pine needles fell from the trees. The birds fluttered and cried. Hercules smirked. Here we go. He picked up his bow and looped the bells around his arm so they'd ring every time he drew an arrow. The next ring shook the birds from the trees. They were so disoriented they couldn't quite fly, only float. Hercules soon caught sight of the soft, white underbelly of one of the birds. He let his bolt fly. The arrow slammed into the side of the bird's torso, striking true. Blood seeped from the wound. The bird let out a terrible scream. Foam dripped from its mouth. Its skin dissolved until all that was left was bone. The hydra poison was working. The animal plummeted to the ground. It was a horrible sight, but Hercules ignored it. He drew another arrow from his quiver, twisting his arm to hit the bells, then fired. Another arrow hit another bird's shoulder. It screeched and dived towards Hercules, talons first, as if making a last desperate attempt to defend itself. But the acid ate away the beast's wings before it could reach him. It landed with a plop and slid at his feet. Hercules smiled and hit the bells again. Ah! It took time, four hours, give or take, to kill most of the flock and scare off the rest. When he was finished, Hercules slumped onto the ground. He was used to quick feats of strength. This sort of thing had been new to him. Still, he couldn't hide his grin when he locked eyes with Athena. He'd gotten her to help him the easy way. She crossed her arms, annoyed. I came back of my own volition. Hercules nodded, face unreadable. Of course you did. Athena's eyes narrowed. Your mind games had nothing to do with it. Hercules nodded again. Of course they didn't. A pause passed between them. Then Athena looked to the side, avoiding his gaze as she spoke. I'm proud of you. Hercules picked up his bag to return to Mycenae. Thank you, sister. As Athena flew away, Hercules glanced around the forest. It was much brighter with the birds on the ground. Sunlight glinted off the bells. He thought briefly about carrying them back into the town. They'd be perfect to announce his victory and return. But it had just been a bunch of birds. Hercules picked up the bells, walked to the shore, and tossed them into the lake. Then he began his trek up north. He didn't need a parade. Perhaps he'd let the townspeople believe the beasts had just flown off. If not for Hercules' sixth labor, the town of Stymphalus might have been lost to history. It's a relatively minor city in the ancient Greek region of Arcadia. There's only a few brief mentions of the settlement in the actual historical record. But there was a local legend about a bird invasion, when either crows or ibises wreaked havoc on the town's crops. Some scholars believe this legend was the inspiration for Hercules's Stemphalian birds, and the town took pride in this association. The water birds appeared in poems, on pottery, and even on the local currency. Over time, the image evolved. Later European painters like Albrecht Dürer represented Hercules' targets as harpies or other strange creatures. But regardless of the imagery, one thing's for certain, birds tend to travel in flocks. There are far more birds than there are heroes in this story, yet Hercules's sixth labor shows that the way to best a crowd isn't always skill or speed. In many cases, it's trickery. The birds are smart. They limit their risk and stay in the trees as much as they can. Their behavior is hard for Hercules to predict, so he has to be creative. But it's not just Hercules' cleverness that saves the day. It's also his siblings' talent for handicraft and metalworking. So this might be considered a story about the value of a well-made accessory and about the hero accepting that he doesn't always have to be the most important element in a story. Because without those bells, our Hercules might still be hiding beneath the trees of the lake pinned down by a canopy of birds. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another set of monsters from Hercules' labors the Cretan Bull. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Reshe, with writing assistance by Stacy Nemec and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson.